Uh, we'll just keep on going. But I've got a two-part word for you this evening. It comes from a course of events that are outlined and take place in Genesis chapter 18 and Genesis chapter 19. If you've been doing the, uh, joined us with our reading the Bible through in a year, you've probably already gone over this. And so uh, I just want to expound on that a little bit. But I'm going to try to get through part one tonight. Hopefully I'll get through part two next week. But you know me, as the Lord directs, sometimes I go to part three or part four. And I just want the Holy Spirit to be able to get out of this word what he wants to get out of the word and get into our hearts what he wants to get into our hearts. Because one of the difficulties I have in planning a message uh, is that when I read an entire chapter like chapter 18 or really any kind of chapter, it's like, There's five sermons there, six sermons there. And then what I've got to do is I've got to get them all condensed. I've got to work them all down and try to get them all into one or two like I'm going to try to do with this. But it's my prayer that I I don't leave out the good stuff and that you just hear what the Holy Spirit wants you to hear. But the title of my message tonight is The Two Hands of God. I'm going to be focusing on chapter 18. has to do with Abraham and, and an encounter that he has with God. But before I get into that, let's go ahead and pray one more time. Ask God to anoint me and anoint you as well. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for this day. It's the day that you've made, so we rejoice and we are glad in it. And I'm thankful, Father God, that as always, we don't gather in vain, but that tonight we have gathered in the name of the Most High God. And I'm thankful that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's power, there's hope. And where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. So I'm thankful that you're here this evening. Now, God, we call out for your anointing. We call out for your Holy Spirit, Lord God, to touch me, my mind, my lips, my heart, my body, and that you would touch your people as well. God, come against every hindering spirit, anything that would try to get in the way of your word, anything that would try to snatch away the seed of salvation, which is the word of God, anything that you have sent forth, God, uh, to purposefully make it into the lives of your people. Let it get there, I pray. Give us ears to hear and hearts to listen, and may you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Like I said, Uh, My message tonight is taken from Genesis chapter 18. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I encourage you during the week to specifically read chapter 18. Read chapter 19 to lead you into next week and whatever else the Lord directs you to read in your personal studies. But I am going to I am going to touch on particular passages or particular verses, and I'm going to try to paraphrase it as I go just to give you a a sense of what's taking place in this chapter. So the first thing that I want to do is I want to set a stage for what's taking place in chapter 18. And I'm going to do that by first bringing you the the first verse. Chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he's speaking of Abraham. So it would say, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And, and we'll, we'll continue on with the rest of that. But the first thing that I want you to recognize here, church, is that the way this reads, and as the way this reads, I want you to understand that Abraham and God have already met on another occasion. I want you to understand that this isn't the first time that God and Abraham met, because as you know, if you read Scripture, typically the first time that an angel appears or the Lord appears before someone, the first thing the angel of the Lord has to say is, Fear not! 
because they're not accustomed to his appearance. They're not accustomed to this supernatural presence coming into their midst. But the way this reads, it lets us know that God and Abraham have already met on another occasion. If you read earlier in Genesis, you discover that God and Abraham actually did meet on another occasion. I'm pointing this out because it's important as we go through this word that, that that, that certain things wouldn't take place later in this chapter unless God and Abraham had already built in a relationship. Unless God and Abraham already had their hearts knit together. Unless God, God and Abraham are already communicating one with another. And I just paint that picture to give you an understanding right now that this is not the first time God and Abraham met. This is not the first time that God reached out and touched and blesses Abraham's life. This, this is just a follow-up of the relationship that they have. You see, God appears here to Abraham because of a previous relationship, and he's about to bestow something in Abraham's life because their hearts are already knit together. I say all that to let you know that if you want good things to come from God, you need to first make sure your hearts are knit together. If you God, if you want God to appear in your life and speak good things into your life and over your life, like he's about to do with Abraham, you need to make sure that your heart is knit together with God. You need to make sure that you You've got a good relationship with Jehovah. And I say that just so you can understand that. Because as we read on, uh, we discover that it wasn't just three men that showed up at, at Abraham's tent. It was three angels, the Bible tells us. And one of them is believed to be the angel of the Lord himself. And these angels show up with a twofold mission. They show up with... They show up with something, I'm going to say, in both hands. They come on a mission, one of blessing and one of wrath as well. Because as you, as you study on, you discover that these angels and the angel of the Lord, they show up with a blessing in one hand and they show up with a curse in the other. They come with grace, all like we sang about. Grace, grace, God's grace. And I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful that God's grace reached down into a dark place in my life and overlooked all of my sin and took me out of the miry clay. That's one mission that God has in our lives. But there's another mission that these angels came with. God came with grace in one hand, but he showed up with, with wrath in the other hand. They came face to face. As you study and read this, they came face to face with Abraham and, and they faced Abraham with grace. But they, at some point in this passage, as we go, you're going to discover that, that, that they faced another people with wrath. Because how many of you know God is a God of goodness and grace, but he is also a God of judgment and justice and wrath. He is a God that not only bestows goodness and blessings upon his people, but he bestows judgment and justice and wrath and correction as well. And we can't forget that that's the kind of God we serve. We can't forget that God has two hands, church, that he comes into our lives with two hands, as we're going to discover as we go down in this passage of Scripture. How many of you know that we can come face to face with God's mercy? Or we can come face to face with God's wrath. We can live in such a way that God will approach us like he approached Abraham and faced him with his grace. 
Where we can live in such a way apart from God that God will come and face us with wrath or judgment instead. I don't know about you, but I want to, I want to see God's face of grace. Amen. I want to see God's face of mercy in my life. And I, I don't ever want Him to have to look away and show me another face. And I don't want Him to have to pull away His hand of blessing and reach out with a, a hand of punishment instead. But this is what we're looking at in this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 18. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 28, God speaks these similar words to his people. And he says, see, he says, I place before you today a blessing and a curse, reminding us. Church, that God has both hand, two hands and God has two faces. And we cannot forget that. And uh, before I go on, I want to paint a picture here as well so you get a good understanding and I can bring it all together. The children of Israel have been brought out of the land of bondage. They've been brought out of the land of Egypt. They are no longer under Pharaoh's rule and they are on their way to the promised land. Actually, at this point... Uh, They are preparing to enter into the promised land. And before they enter into the promised land, God brings them to a a particular place. He brings them to a particular setting so he can teach them a lesson. How many of you know that God brings you to certain places just to teach us a lesson? How many of you understand that no matter where you are in life, God can teach you a lesson there? No matter where your road or your path might take you, whether it's to a mountaintop or a valley, God can teach you a lesson there. No matter whether you find yourself in a place of lack or a place of abundance, God can teach you a lesson there. No matter whether you find yourself in a place of sickness or a place of health, God can teach you a lesson there. But the key is, are we ready to listen? The key is, are we looking for God? Are we attentive to God? And are are we even willing to learn our lesson in that place? But this is exactly what's going on in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Before they're going into the promised land, God brings them to a place to teach them how to live a blessed life. He brings them to a place in order to teach them how to have all good things come into their life. He brings them to this particular place and setting to teach them how they can have goodness and mercy follow after them all of the days of their life. And so that they could dwell in the house and the presence of the Lord all the days of their life. I don't know about you, church, but that's what I want. I want to be able to have goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life and not not judgment and not wrath. But this is what we discover as we go through this. Uh, We've got to learn what it means to, to live a blessed life and how to live a blessed life, to have God extend his hand of grace into our our lives. And if we want to learn that church. If you want to learn how to have goodness and mercy follow you and have the the hand of grace extended to you and the face of grace gazing uh, uh, towards you, you need to learn to listen when God speaks. You need to learn to, to, to heed the words that, that come from the mouth of God when he opens up his mouth. How many of you know that when God opens up his mouth, it's not just to waste time? It's not just to, to speak nonsense. Every time God opens his mouth, it's to direct us or bless us or steer us or guide us or give us revelation or to give us truth. So every time God speaks to us, no matter where we at, we've got to learn to listen, church. 
You see here in Deuteronomy chapter 11, the children of Israel are standing in the valley of Shechem. Some people are saying that they were standing in the, the valley of Moab. And in front of them, God brings them to this place. In front of them are two mountains. On this side is Mount Gerizim, which is considered the mountain of blessings. And on this side of them is Mount Ebal, which is considered the mountain of curses. So what God is saying, and I want you to understand, in this valley, as they're looking out over, their, over the mountains, God lays something out before them. And what I want you to understand, both physically and spiritually, both of these mountains, the mountain of blessing was formed by the hand of God, and the mountain of curses was formed by the hand of God as well. Physically, they were formed. God spoke, and those things came into existence. Spiritually, the same exact thing happened. Spiritually, God formed a mountain of blessings, and God formed a mountain of curses. A lot of us don't like to think that. A lot of us don't like to believe that a lot of us like to believe that there's no way that God would ever form a mountain of bless uh, mountain of curses but let me tell you he did and he said it before them in the valley of Shechem and this is what he said he stretches forth his hands because God holds the world in his hands you know how many of you know that, that that a mountain is nothing in the hand of God amen so here they are in the valley of Shechem, and God says to the children of Israel, before they go into the promised land, if you want to live a blessed life, if you want to live a promised life, here's how you do it. And he stretches out one hand and says, in this hand is a mountain of blessings. From this hand, I will bless you. From this hand, I will keep you. From this hand, you will receive provisions and my promises. And from this hand, you'll receive all good things. If you listen to my voice, if you heed my words, if you do not turn aside to other gods, if you love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, from this hand, from this mountain that I set before you today, you shall reap blessings. But from this hand, you see, because God has two hands, church, from this hand, God says, you will reap punishment. From this hand, you will reap hurt. From this hand, you will reap lack, and you will reap loss, and you will reap disappointment, and you will reap punishment, and you will reap correction, and you will reap, uh, reap reproof. From this hand, if you do not listen to my voice, if you do not heed my words, if you do not do what is right in my eyes, if you turn away from other gods, if you begin to live for yourself and do what is right in your own eyes, you shall not reap from blessings, but you shall reap from curses instead. See, I know there's a lot of churches out there that would never dare preach this word to you, but I want you to understand this evening that my God has two hands. And in one hand, He holds grace. And in the other hand, He holds wrath. And the reality is, if we ever want to see the Spirit of the Lord descend upon this place, if we ever want His name to be written on that new sanctuary like it was on Solomon's temple, we better understand that our God has two hands. And that there's a way that we are to live, and there's a way we're to carry ourselves, and there's a way we are to conduct ourselves as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Because we won't experience blessings and we won't experience power if we do what's right in our own eyes. So here in the valley, God stretches out both hands and says, see what I'm holding. 
blessings and curse. From this hand, blessing. From this hand, verse. Because understand, our God is a just God, church. And the Bible tells us that we will all reap what we sow. If we, if we, if we sow to the Spirit, the Bible says... If we sow to the Spirit, God says, then I'm going to open this hand up wide and I'm going to pour out blessings that you can't contain. I'm going to bless you as you go out and I'm going to bless you as you come in. I'm going to bless you as you rise up from the bed and I'm going to bless you as you put your head down. And I'm going to bless you in between, everywhere in between. That's the power of this hand of God. But, but, but He also says... When he says, you shall reap what you sow, he's saying, if you sow to the flesh, if you sow to carnal man, if you sow to this world and the things of this world, church, then from this other hand, you will reap curses and you will reap heartache and you will reap the things you do not want in your life. You see, the reality is, even the house of God, listen, I'm not judging any of you. I'm just telling you that we're living in a society today where even the house of God is filled with individuals that wonder why blessings aren't coming. They wonder why their marriages are falling apart, and they wonder why their finances are falling apart, and they wonder why everything around them is falling apart, and they can't find a single blessing in their life. There's a lot of individuals that need to start examining what they're sowing. There's a lot of individuals, all of us, church, me included, on a regular basis. I've got to start examining where am I sowing so that I can reap what I need to reap, so that I can be blessed beyond measure. You see, the reality is the farther and the higher you go with God, the more things you're going to have to let go of. The higher and farther you go with God and the deeper you want to go with God, the more things you've got to set aside, church, so that you can be all that God wants you to be, so that you can reap even greater blessings in your life. This is what we need to learn from uh, Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to bring us back to it so we can understand exactly. But what we need to be assured is that we will all reap something in our life. Listen, one of the one of the things that seems to be so difficult for so many of us in the house of God to grasp or believe or even understand at times is that God is a keeper of every single promise he's ever made, both good and bad. Both good and bad, God is a keeper of his promises. Well, what's a good promise? Well, a good promise is certainly is to bless you and keep you and to prosper you and provide for you. Well, what's a, good, what's a bad promise? Well, it's to judge you. It's to bring wrath upon you. It's to correct you. It's to reprove you. You see, the Bible is filled with good promises and bad promises. And the reality is, even though it's hard for us to understand, God will fulfill every single promise that he has ever uttered out of the word of God, both good and bad, promises that bless and promises that hurt. Remember, from this hand, he said, I will bless those who bless me. It's a promise. And from this hand, I will curse those who curse me. It's a promise. What you need to understand is that both mountains that were set before the children of Israel were covered with promises. Some were good and some were bad. And what he was telling, but either, listen, they were all promises. They were words that were spoken out of the mouth of God. And listen to me, when God speaks, he acts. And every word that he spoke forth that said, if you do this, I will do this. And if you do this, I will do this instead. It's a promise. 
And God will fulfill that promise in our lives, even if we don't like it, and even if we don't believe it. You see, the Word of God says in Numbers twenty-three nineteen, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he would change his mind. Does God speak and then not act? Does God promise and then not fulfill? And the answer is absolutely not, because God does what he says. He says he will bless. If he says he will bless, then he will bless. If he says he will curse, then he will curse. If he says I'll have grace and mercy, he'll have grace and mercy. If he says I'm going to bring judgment and wrath, then he's going to bring judgment and wrath, church, because God keeps all of his promises. And here we are back as Israel stood in the valley. God made two promises to his people. Very simple. Two promises to his people. I promise to bless you with this hand. I promise to punish you with this hand as well. And what he was trying to teach, the, he was trying to give them a full understanding of what it meant to be children of God. He was trying to give them an understanding of their responsibility to be chosen uh, people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. And God wants us who call ourselves saved. God, uh, God wants us who call ourselves sons and daughters of the Most High God to understand our responsibility as well. It's to live in such a way that brings honor to Him and glory to Him like Abraham did in order to receive the blessing that he received that we're going to look at in just a moment, church. But the truth is, so often all we want to believe in is God's hand of blessing. Uh, so often, the only hand that we want to believe God has is this, is, is this hand of goodness and His hand of His blessing that He brings uh, into our... All good things. You see, and I'm not saying this in a condemning way. And I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. But I want you to understand that we're living in a society where there are numerous ministries and numerous pastors who only believe God has one hand. There are ministries that abound on TV where, where, where the ministries or even the ministers themselves only ever introduce you to one hand of God. All they ever want to do is introduce you to, you know, the God that holds cotton candy and Cadillacs and a wad of cash in his hand. That, that, that's the God that so many ministers bring out to the people today. But they, they, they ignore God's other hand. Yo, know, you can live however you want, and you can live this way, and you can do that way, and you can ignore God's Word, and He's going to continue to bless you and bless you and bless you. But the reality is God has another hand, church, and we cannot afford to forget about it. We cannot afford to forget that our God has two hands, and one of those hands holds judgment and wrath. We can't forget that, that one hand holds promises and one hand holds wrath. We have to remember that the wages of sin is death. You know, now, I asked the Lord, you know, when I began to form this word together, he put this word on my heart. I bring the word that God brings me. And sometimes God brings me a word and I'm like, well, God, why do you want me to preach that on Wednesday? Why do you want me to preach like all about sin when, you know, on Wednesdays it's the faithful that come and on Wednesdays it's the ones that go the extra mile to come? Why, you know, why is it that because there's a truth in there someone needs to hear? Because I've told you to speak it and someone needs to hear it. Because none of us are above improvement. Because none of us are without sin. 
That's what the Holy Spirit reminded us. And every single one of us need to be reminded on a regular basis that our God has two hands, church. And that's why I'm bringing forth the word this evening. You see, in Abraham, in, in Genesis 18, Abraham reaped a blessing from one hand while someone else was about to reap a reap God's wrath from the other hand. In this passage of Scripture, in Genesis 18, we discover that God shows up in, in, in Abraham's presence. He shows up in, in Abraham's tent with a twofold mission and with something in both hands. The hand of blessing has been extended to Abraham and Sarah, and he gives them there a promise of a son. And I always find this passage interesting because it says he he came and he gave uh, them the promise of a son. And the blessing is so extraordinary. The promise of a son. Remember, Abraham's an old man. Sarah's an old lady. The Bible says that they're past childbearing years. She figures, well, you know, that's all done. That's gone. That's that's passed by. That's far past us. But God shows up with a blessing. He shows up with a promise in this hand that's almost ridiculous to Sarah. It's unbelievable to Sarah. It seems preposterous to Sarah. It seems completely impossible to Sarah. And the Bible says in verse 12, when God spoke, when the angel of the Lord spoke this promise and released it into her life, she laughed. She giggled. I wasn't there, so I'm not exactly sure what happened, but the Bible says she laughed. Now, maybe it was a little chuckle that she could barely contain. Maybe it was a little smirk or grin that she had on her face. Maybe she actually went, ha! Yeah, right. Is he crazy? Is he cuckoo? I don't know. But the Bible says she laughed because the promise that he left was so incredible. Because the promise seemed absolutely impossible. But how many of you know, with God, all things are possible. Amen? With God, all things are possible. And God actually has to remind Sarah of this very fact. She laughs. It's so incredible that she can't believe it. So preposterous that she can't grasp it or seem to wrap her mind around it. But how many of you know, church, that that's the way God's blessings and promises are sometimes? Sometimes God seems to make a promise that makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes he promises to take you to a place or do something in your life or or a, a promise that you'll receive something in your life that seems absolutely ridiculous, absolutely impossible and preposterous. And, and we can't grasp it. We can't seem to put our mind around it and our heart just can't seem to believe it. But that's how great some of God's promises are in our lives. Amen? But here's what I want you to see. Whether we believe them or whether we can wrap our minds around them, they're true nonetheless. And God fulfills them nonetheless. You see, Sarah laughed, but God still left a promise. Sarah didn't believe it. Sarah couldn't comprehend it. But 20-some years later, God fulfilled it. Amen? Because it doesn't matter how ridiculous it is to us. If God says it, God will do it. And this is what we need to learn. It doesn't matter how much you can wrap your mind around it. If God, not man, not some false prophet, not some whatever, you got to be careful who you let speak into your life. But if God speaks it to you, 
I'm not saying that God has to come down and appear to you like he did Adam. But if you know in the heart of hearts that God spoke a promise in your life, he'll do what he said. It's what we need to understand, church. They are true whether we believe it or not. In verse 14, the angel says to Sarah after she, la- after she laughs, Why do you laugh, Sarah? Why do you laugh? Now, there's a man standing there. It's the angel of the Lord. So it's not like she's talking up, you know, into the sky. There's a physical presence there that says, Sarah, why do you laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Why are you laughing, Sarah? Why are you chuckling? Is anything too difficult for God? And I'm, 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 I'm imagining what's going on in this very moment, church. I know he didn't say this, but I'm going to say it. Because he is trying to convince Sarah that nothing is too difficult for God. He's trying to convince Sarah that even though she can't wrap her mind around it, even though she's 80 years old and way past childbearing years, even though she can't feel it or understand it, God is trying to convince her that nothing is too difficult for God. And so I'm thinking this conversation could go a little bit like this. Sarah... You're talking about God. He spoke and the world came into existence, Sarah. He breathed and brought forth life, Sarah. He holds the planets in their place, Sarah. He wakes the sun up in the morning and he tucks it in bed at night. And he brings out the stars to to shine up the night, Sarah. I want you to understand, Sarah, that nothing is too difficult for God. You see, he causes the oceans to roar, Sarah. He causes the trees of the field to clap their hands, Sarah. He tells the sea how far it's allowed to come upon the shore and then says you can't go any further. He created the universe, Sarah. Is anything too difficult for God? Anything. We find ourselves in a, in a sorrowful situation and we forget that nothing is too difficult for God. You see, I think we need to be reminded on a regular basis when we're going through this life that's filled with trials and tribulations that nothing is too difficult for our God. No matter what the devil unleashes into your life, no matter what the devil might be whispering, no matter how low your bank account might be, no matter what the doctors might say, no matter how it looks or how dark the night, nothing is too difficult for God. And Sarah had to be reminded of that, church. And what's funny about this is that the Bible tells us that as soon as, as soon as God asks Sarah this question and puts her on the spot, she gets embarrassed, the Bible. They don't necessarily use the word, but when you read it and you study it, you discover that Sarah got embarrassed. Who wouldn't? She got embarrassed. She even tried to say, well, no, I didn't laugh, God. Maybe she said it was her husband. Maybe she said it was the mouse. Maybe she said it was, I didn't. But the reality is Sarah was embarrassed. And what I got from this church is that sometimes we should be embarrassed by our lack of faith. 
What I get from this is sometimes we should be embarrassed that we don't believe God can do anything. I believe we should be embarrassed by the fact that sometimes we don't believe that God can do what God said He can do. That we don't believe that He can raise up the sick. That we don't believe that He can mend a marriage. That we don't believe He can bring home a son or a daughter. Sometimes we should be embarrassed by the fact that we don't believe that God is not a man that he should lie, or the Son of Man, that he would change his mind, church. Sometimes I think we should be embarrassed for such a lack of faith as sons and daughters of the Most High God. You see, we got a major project coming up with this building. We, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, millions of dollars to, to be able to bring forth the vision that God has laid on the pastor's heart, and we need faith to make that happen. We need to believe that with God all things are possible, church. And, and we cannot afford to find ourselves in a place of embarrassment questioning God. Because the, you know what I've got from this? When anybody comes to me during this building process, this is what the Holy Spirit shared with me. Because you know when you, you step out in faith, you got the naysayers. When you step out in faith, you got all the people that say you can't do it. And you got all the people that say you shouldn't do it. You know what I'm going to tell them? Sarah? I'm going to call them Sarah. And I'm going to say, Sarah is anything too difficult for my God. Amen? So listen, don't make me call you Sarah, especially if you're Sam, okay? Because that's what I'm going to call you. I'm, I'm joking, but I'm serious at the same time. God wants to raise up some spiritual faith warriors, and this is what we need for this time, church. The Bible says that she was embarrassed because she didn't believe, because she didn't put her trust and her hope and her confidence in God. I don't know what Abraham did. Uh, you know, some, I, I can kind of picture God speaks up. Kind of, you, know, you know, when these things happen, you try to picture. If you're like me, you try to picture really what goes on. Abraham had a relationship with God, was knit close to God, communing with God. And here Sarah laughs at God. I wonder what happened with him. I wonder what kind of looks shot across the table. I wonder what kind of words he might have had with her after Jesus or God left the picture. Uh, she was embarrassed. And I don't ever want us to find ourselves in that place. But the awesome thing about this story, as I continue on, is that even though Sarah laughed, even though Sarah didn't believe at first, even though Sarah thought that this was preposterous, and even though Sarah was completely embarrassed to the bottom of her heart, God still left her a promise, and God still fulfilled it. It might have been a it might have been a couple decades before it came, uh, you know, before it was made manifest. It might have been a couple decades before the evidence of that promise was made manifest in her life, but it came nonetheless. You see, what we need to learn from this is sometimes we've got to wait for that promise, church. And I don't care how long you've got to wait. If God said it, God will do it. If God promised it, God will let it loose in your life, just like he did with Sarah. But here's where the story takes a, a drastic change. Here's where it kind of shifts gears. But it's because once this blessing was released into Abraham's life, 
Once the face of grace looked upon Abraham and Sarah with favor, the Bible tells us in verse 16 that it turned away and looked another direction. In verse 16, the story begins to change and, and we begin to get an idea, an understanding of the second part of God's mission. And he looked out towards a valley with vengeance instead. One moment. He's looking at Sarah and Abraham with a face of grace. And like that, he turns and he he faces a valley with vengeance. And the same thing can happen in our life as well. One moment. God can be looking at us with a face of grace. He can be extending His hand of mercy, waiting for us to respond, waiting for us to come home, waiting for us to say, forgive me, waiting for us to make things right. He shows up with a hand of grace and a hand of mercy, wanting to pour out blessings to that heart that is broken and that heart that is willing. And when it doesn't, in a second, that face can turn to wrath. And God's judgment can be loosed in our life. It's why when God speaks, we must listen. It's why when God comes to us with that hand of grace, we don't want to find out what's hiding behind His back. When He comes to us with that hand of mercy, we need to take it, church. We need to understand that this is what God wants. We've got to accept what He is offering us when He comes. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Amen? Today. If you go back in Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says, See, I place before you today a blessing and a curse. Today. There's no better time to get things right than today. He didn't say, Tomorrow I'm going to bring a blessing by. He didn't say, Hey, uh, church, be ready because next week or next month I'm coming by with some grace and I'm coming by with an opportunity. He said, Today, right now. I'm placing before you a blessing and a curse. There's no better time to get right with God than today, right now. When God speaks, seize the moment and do what he wants you to do. Because that moment to turn your life around, that moment to receive a a powerful supernatural blessing in your life could go away just like that. We must learn to take advantage of it, church. But once his blessing is released to Abraham and Sarah, he turns away. Because God has two hands, church. And we cannot forget it. Like I said, I know we all want to reap from the hand of God's goodness. I know we all want to partake of the goodies that God has in this one hand. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should want God's blessings. We should want His provisions and His protections. We should want to, to taste of His mercy and His grace and see that, is he, that he is good. But we cannot forget that there is a mountain of evil. There is a Mount Ebal in the other hand of God, and it's filled with curses as well. And we've already learned how they come into our life. We cannot forget that God has a hand of correction and a hand of reproof. We cannot forget that he has a hand of recompense that sometimes hurts us, church. But it's all in order to bring us to the place that we need to be. We need to understand that God holds back this hand of wrath as long as he can. He's he's held it back for 2,000 years after his son Jesus Christ. Ultimately, I'm not saying that he doesn't reveal some of his punishment along the way, but his ultimate hand of judgment, it's been held back. His ultimate hand of, of, of eternal judgment, he's been hiding behind his back. He's been holding it back as long as he can, extending the hand of grace to whosoever would believeth in him might have everlasting life, church. But there's coming a place and a time when God's going to take that hand from behind his back and he's going to stretch it towards this world. 
He's going to stretch it towards the city of Sodom. He's going to stretch it towards America, or he's going to stretch it uh, you know, out to whoever it is in this world that's not living like they should. But here's what I want you to understand. The angel of the Lord had just dispensed grace and goodness from one hand. Prophecy and promise was just dispensed from the one hand of God, but now another work was to be done as well. Now God had to reveal the wrath which was being held in his other hand. It's not something that God wants to do. It's not something that God desires to do. It's something that God will hold back as long as he can. But remember, God has to fulfill all of his promises. He cannot deny himself. If he speaks it, he has to fulfill it, church. But here's where we're at. The angels had just dispensed goodness and grace to Abraham, but now they have to dispense wrath towards a city called Sodom. And the Bible tells us, That Sodom was a city whose sinfulness, whose sexual perversion, whose, whose lifestyle, whose wickedness and debauchery was so rank that it reached the nostrils of God in chapter 19, verse 13, and it disgusted God. And God decided that it's time to extend this hand of wrath. It's time to extend this hand of judgment. The the Bible tells us in this particular verse that God decided that he had to send these angels, that it was time to take out the trash. Because how many of you know, church, that God will put up with our stink for only so long? God will only put up with our stench, spiritual stench, for only so long. God will only put up with the wickedness of this world for only so long. For the unrighteousness and with the unrighteousness and and the evil that takes place in this world. He will only put up with that stink for so long. You see, I hope you understand that the the burning flesh, decaying flesh has a stench. I don't know if you've ever been around it, but it stinks. I have. I've been around decaying flesh and it stinks. If you've ever had an animal die in your backyard, you know what I'm talking about. It stinks and it reeks. I want you to understand that in God's eyes, without the Holy Spirit, without being renewed in our own spirit, this body is decaying. This filthy carnal flesh has a stench that reaches into the nostrils of God. And it's why we must be born again so that we can go from a stench to a sweet aroma into the nostrils of God, humanity without Christ stinks in God's nostrils. It's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to renew that flesh, to revive that flesh. And so that we could be a sweet, sweet aroma in God's eyes. But the stench in the city of Sodom got so foul that he had to go take out the trash. He had to go burn up the city, the Bible says, because he will only tolerate the sinfulness of this world for so long. And he'll do the same with us or anyone else, for that matter, church. The reality is, if we are foolish enough to fiddle around with our folly, God will keep his promise and recompense us for our sins because he can't deny himself, church. You see, so far on this mission, as I begin to wind this down, the angel of the Lord had only opened one hand, the hand of blessing, the hand that promised Sarah a son, the hand that promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations among all nations, the hand that would make him a blessing, the Bible said, the hand that would make him a royal priesthood and a holy nation. This is the only hand 
that Abraham saw inside of so far. The hand of blessing. The mountain of blessing is the only hand that anyone had seen inside of so far. The reality is Abraham had no idea what was hiding in the other hand of God. Abraham had no idea what the other part of God's mission was all about. He had no idea of the wrath or the punishment that was about to be loosed on the city of Sodom, church, nor did Sodom. Sodom had no clue about the wrath that was about to be let loose upon their city. And the reality is, nor does most of our society today. The reality is there's a lot of individuals, even in the house of God, who are not aware of the punishment or the wrath that is building up in the hands of God because they are not living their life the way they are supposed to. Because they have not accepted the hand of God's grace and mercy in their life and given their life to Christ. So they're storing up for themselves punishment and wrath. The city of Sodom had no clue what was about to befall them. And the thing is, as righteous as Abraham was, he had no clue either. Because God hides that as long as he can. He doesn't, it's that, it's that destructive and devastating that he doesn't want to have to bring it out unless he absolutely has to. But here in this passage of Scripture, church, we understand and learn that, that there's, there's a society that forgets that God has two hands. Not just Sodom. We're living in a society today that has forgotten that our God has two hands. Now, oh, he's a loving God. Oh, he's a great God. God would never send anybody to hell. God would never do any of these things. God would never hurt and God would never harm. He's a God of love. Well, that's all true. But listen, I don't serve a one-handed God. I, I don't serve a handicapped God. I serve a God who has two hands, and in one hand he carries blessings, and in one hand he, he executes justice and judgment, church. The reality is, why do you think Pastor and I preach so hard against sin? Why do you think that, that we risk hurting people's feelings and we risk, church, offending someone in the process? Why do you think we preach our hearts out like we do from time to time about living right in front of the Lord? About putting aside the sin and doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord? Why do you think we shout and we scream trying to shake off the slumber and open up people's eyes, church? Because we serve a God that has two hands. Because we know that at some point in someone's life who's sitting in this city is, is going to experience the wrath of God in their life. Because they've turned their back on God. Because they're offending God. Because they're trampling over the blood of God. And God won't tolerate it. It's why we preach like we do. Because we don't want that hand of wrath to be revealed into their life, church. Because we know that God will either face us with grace like he did Abraham, or he will face us with wrath like he's about to do with the city of Sodom. And I'm not going to get into all of that because I'm going to start winding it down. It's part of next week's verse. But here's what I want you to see. In verse 17, no one knows what's in the other hand of God until verse 17. 
No one knows about the judgment that's about to be unleashed or the the fire that's about to fall. Not even Abraham. But in verse 17, God has a discussion with the angels. And I'm going to close with this portion of the scripture. Here we have God and three angels. We have a supernatural heavenly uh, staff meeting, you might say. They carry on this council session and they ask, and the Bible says, the angel of the Lord has a discussion with the other angels or even to himself and says, shall I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham or shall I share my secret with him? Or shall I share my secret with my friend? How many of you know that that God called Abraham his friend? So when you read this and study it, you really are, are, this is really what's happening. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Shall I hide from Abraham this second part of my mission, this plan that's about to unfold? Or shall I reveal this secret to my friend? And as you read on, you discover that he does that very thing. That he reveals this secret plan to his friend Abraham. Because in Psalm 25, 14, it says, Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, and with them he shares his secrets. The reason God shared his secret with Abraham was because Abraham was his friend. The reason that he revealed this supernatural plan and stretched out his the plan that was about to be put into process was because Abraham was his friend. Because Abraham stood up rightly before him. Because Abraham revered him. Because Abraham feared him. Because Abraham, the Bible says, believed him and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. You see, if you want to... Be a part of God's plan. If you want to know what he's holding in his hand, if you want revelation and you want understanding and you want wisdom, if you want insight, if you want the 411, whatever you call it, if you want the early edition, if you want the inside scoop, I don't care what you call it. You've got to be a friend of God. If you want to see what God's got planned for you, if you want to see what's over the horizon or around the bed or around the curve, if you want to know what God has planned for you, you've got to be a friend of God. You've got to stand up rightly before him. You've got to fear him, not like he's a boogie monster, but you've got to fear him with an understanding that he is king of kings and lord of lords, church. And here's what I want you to realize. What I'm going to close with. Shall I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham or shall I share with him my secret? And what I want you to understand as I bring this to a close is that when you are a friend of God, you become a topic of heavenly conversation. I want you to understand that when you are a friend of God, you come to the forefront of God's planning purposes for your life. I want you to understand that when you are a friend of God, God takes time to include you in his plans. He doesn't leave you out. He considers you in the process. I want you to understand that God made a promise to Abraham that he would be a, that he would be the father of many nations and he understood that part of the land, listen, part of the land that God was about to destroy belonged by promise to Abraham. 
I don't know if you know that or not, but part of the land that was about to be destroyed was part of a promise that God had already made to Abraham. You may not grasp this, and you may not believe this, but this is biblical. God could not destroy that land because of the promise he made to Abraham, and he needed to seek counsel with Abraham. He could not leave Abraham out of a promise that was already made to Abraham. I hope you understand this, church, that when God makes you a promise, He includes you in the plans. And He will not leave you out, and He brings you to the forefront of that conversation and says, should I leave out my friend Daryl? Should I hide this secret plan or should I reveal it to my friend? And you could put your own name in there. He brings you to the forefront of the conversation and includes you in the plan. And this is exactly what he did in verse 17. And we're going to look at the rest next week. But he revealed this plan to Abraham because he made Abraham a promise. He made Abraham a promise because Abraham was a friend of God. God called Abraham a friend. I hope you're following this. God called Abraham a friend because Abraham feared the Lord. Because Abraham walked uprightly before him. Because Abraham did what was right in God's eyes and not in his own eyes. He didn't lean on his own understanding, but he acknowledged God in all of his ways. He called him friend because their hearts were knit together. And it takes us all the way back to the original passage where I started that he showed up with this promise because they were already knit together. He showed up with this promise because he was already God's friend. God called Abraham friend, his friend. This wasn't a self-proclaimed title. Abraham didn't just say, hey, guess what? I'm a friend of God. God gave him that title. Don't, be go, don't go giving yourself a title unless God gives it to you. Don't, don't, go, don't go saying, hey, I'm a friend. Of, we sing it all the time. I'm a friend of God. Well, has God called you that? You're either a friend or a foe tonight. You're a friend or a foe. And the Bible tells us that friendship with this world is enmity with God. Friendship with this world and, and the love of this world makes you a foe of God. And I'm closing with this. I don't know any king that reveals his plans to a foe. I don't know any king that will open up his secret plans and put it out in front of his foe. He won't. He'll only share it with his closest friends. I hope you're a friend tonight and not a foe. If you're here tonight and you say, God, I want to reap from the mountain of blessings. I want to be a friend and not a foe. I want you to stand to your feet because this is how we're going to end. You see, in this process... There's so many things that you're going to be hearing over the coming weeks that will be directly related to this vision God has for us. There's some secret plans hiding in that this process that none of us know about yet. There's things pastor doesn't know about that God wants to reveal. There's things that I don't know about yet that God is still going to reveal. There's things about this process and where we're going and what God wants to do, not just at South Metro, but in your life particularly. There might be a position of ministry available for someone in here. God might call you or be trying to uh, prepare you for a place that you can serve the kingdom of God. And the only way that's going to be revealed in your life is if you're God's friend. And if you're walking uprightly before him. 
So if you want that mountain of blessing, the first thing we got to say is, God, forgive me of my sins. God, if there's anything in my life that's, that's getting in the way of those blessings, God, I don't want the curse. I don't want the punishment. So I'm submitting and surrendering myself to you tonight. Let that be your prayer as I pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this evening. I'm thankful, Father God, that you are a God of grace and a God of mercy. I'm thankful that you're a God of great blessings and of provisions, Father God, of protection. That you want to to bring all good things into our lives. I'm thankful for that, Father God. I'm thankful that you are so gracious that, that you give us what we don't even deserve. But I pray tonight, Father God, that none of us would ever forget that you are a God of justice. And a God of wrath and a God of judgment and a God of correction as well. I thank you, Father God, that you hold that hand of wrath behind you for as long as you can. And that you continue day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, extending a hand of grace into our life. But God, there's coming a time when the the stench of our flesh and the stench of sin will become so unbearable to you that you're going to have to reach out and execute judgment. I pray that we would never find ourselves in that place, God, that we would never be your foe, but that we would always be your friend. God, it's my prayer that we would all live uprightly before you. It's my prayer, Father God, that we would walk humbly in your sight. It's my prayer tonight, Father God, that you would forgive us of all of our sins, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you would search us through and through and through, that you would see if there be any wicked way within us, Father God, and that you would cleanse us of every sin and set us free, Father God, so that we could reap from the mountain of blessings that you have extended before us this evening. God, if there's anyone here this night that doesn't know you, if there's anyone here tonight, God, that has wandered away and they've been living uh, according to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, uh, if there's anyone here that's been doing what is right in their own eyes and grieving you, I pray that you would move upon their spirit, that you would give them a spirit of repentance, God, to where they would cry out and say, forgive me, God. I want to reap from your hand of blessings. Move upon your people, I pray. Prepare us, Father God, uh, to be those individuals that can be called your friends so that we can experience your blessings in our life. We thank you for your word, and we give you the praise. And all God's people said, amen. Can we bless the Lord, church, as we always do? Apologize for going on a little longer than normal, but I pray that you take this word and let it find a place in your heart. If you have a special need, I'll be happy to tarry with you. Otherwise, go and be blessed. Amen.